and uh, welcome to the Cyber Safety Podcast, the first ever. Um, I'd like to uh, first introduce myself. My name is Guy Golan. I am the co-founder and CEO of Performanta. And as you can hear from my voice, I'm very passionate also um, about topic cyber safety, but mainly about my guest today. And I'd like to introduce Simon Hodgkinson, and I call him the Hodge. <laughs> Hi, Simon. Hey, Guy. How you doing? Yeah, really, really, pre- really appreciate the, op- the opportunity to join you on the uh, on the podcast uh, podcast today on a topic that, frankly, I'm really passionate about, given my uh, my background in uh, in the oil and gas industry. Um, so um, yeah, yeah, delighted to be with you. Well, delighted to have you with me as well. I'm sure it's going to be great fun. Um, Simon, just uh, for everybody around, obviously we know each other for quite some time. Um, you've been uh, the uh, Group CISO, Chief Information Security Officer for BP Global. Um, anything you would like to add about that? Because I know that you've got lots of stories to tell. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've had an amazing career, Guy. Um, very, very fortunate. Um, you know, I've been in technology and cybersecurity now for 38 years. Um, and, um, you know, the last four years of my corporate career uh, was Group Chief Information Security Officer for BP, um, best job in, in the world, really enjoyed it. Um, and prior to that, I ran uh, global infrastructure and operations for BP. So um, in some respects, um, served a bit of poacher and gamekeeper from the security side as, as, as well. Since leaving uh, BP, I've worked for numerous different organizations um, doing things like uh, strategic advisory work for different companies, but I've also had the uh, privilege to work in uh, um, places like NHS Digital as well. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been great. But safety is actually uh, a message that um, is really important to me given my background. Brilliant. So maybe we, let's just dive in and let's discuss safety. After all, this is what we are here for. So, uh, Simon, I've heard you speak uh, quite a few times on a few different occasions around uh, the importance of safety as a whole and about cyber safety in particular. And you come uh, from the oil and gas industry. And can you please talk a little bit about, you know, the combination of two uh, and, and the importance of that? Yeah, sure. So um, I think first and foremost, um, it's easy to think about um, safety in terms of numbers. Safety is really a culture. Um, It's a mindset that people have to get into. And I think, um, you know, the when you look at places like the airline industry, you look at things like the oil and gas industry, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, these were really unsafe businesses to work in. People were coming in um, to their shifts at the beginning of the day and not going home to their families at night. Um, they were they were dying on the job, and that was wholly, wholly unacceptable. Um, so, um, you know, if you think about the whole notion of the speak up culture and the black box in the airline industry, that was all about creating a culture where people um, reported issues before they came major accidents. And the oil and gas industry picked up that same uh, same culture. Uh, and we started to do things like um, report near misses. So working for BP, if I w- was working in an office, um, you know, if I saw somebody had spilt a drop of water on the floor, 
I wouldn't walk past that drop of water on the floor. I would stop and make sure it was cleaned up. And, and so nobody would have an accident. And, and interestingly enough, the most unsafe, based on the metrics, the most unsafe place in, uh, in BP at one point wasn't uh, an oil refinery or an oil rig. It was actually the Sunbury campus, the office building campus, because we had this culture of reporting things like, uh, like near misses, and, uh, and avoiding uh, major accidents as a result. So um, I believe we need that very same culture in cybersecurity. I think um, you know, if we encourage people to proactively speak up about near misses, so actually you know, not whacking people for clicking a phishing link, but actually congratulating them for speaking up, um, uh, you know, and, and, and I've seen different uh, organizations, cultures um, do, do both sides of that. We used to, uh, at BP, we used to follow the same um, safety culture in cyber. And we used to have people talk about those experiences uh, in things like town halls, about how they'd, um, you know, maybe clicked on a link or, or responded to an email or sent an, uh, you know, sent an email out they shouldn't. But actually, what did they learn from that and what could others learn from it? And that to me really is is taking the physical safety culture and applying it to um, cybersecurity. And I'm absolutely convinced the results we saw in the physical space, i.e. people not um, having major accidents, we can replicate in the cyber realm um, by following that same, uh, same mentality and culture. I'm so fortunate that, to hear that because probably this is the base of where we got connected as, as two individuals that didn't know each other from before. Um, as you know, we drive quite strongly the agenda of cyber safety, and this is something that is close to heart. What is also close to heart is, is my past experience in aviation, not the oil and gas, which uh, both as a service provider, I saw that exactly what you say. When there's a red line and, and people should not cross it, then people don't cross it, but ask yourself, what made them draw that red line? It's be beyond those moments of, of enlightenment. It's basically the moment that someone realized that if you cross that red line, someone's going to get injured and they talk through it, let alone about when an airplane or aircraft is taking off or landing. Um, the interesting thing is from a user, and I always use that analogy and, and would love to hear uh, your view when it comes to the cyber world, is that um, when we fly and we are finding ourselves in the most hostile place to a human being to be. Almost like an oil rig, I would assume that it is pretty much an hostile environment. Um, you know, you don't have oxygen, you, it's very cold, you're going to freeze within 10 minutes and die. And yet, oh, and the aircraft is always burning, you know, those engines are burning continuously. And most of the time, what we think as, as passengers is whether, whether uh, I'm going to have chicken or beef, I'm going to rest, I'm going to work, I'm going to listen to music, I'm going to watch a video. They really did a great job in creating a safe environment for all of us. Um, just trying to emulate potentially and, and a bit philosophically, it feels like cyber safety is all about allowing us to continue with our routine in an uninterrupted way. And as you say, an oil drop or a, a, a water drop is interfering in the journey to do something. How do you see that translation into a cyber world and a cyber safety? Well, what, that's a really interesting um, an analogy, Guy, because actually one thing that happens on the airplane every single time you go on that airplane, regardless of whether you fly every day or once a year, you get the safety briefing. 
So there's that notion of reminding people about safety all of the time on aircraft. And they're not talking about, you know, burning fuel or what, you know, what could happen if the plane, uh, you know, if, the, if there's a, an error with the, the pilots or what have you. But they're reminding everybody of their role in, in, uh, in safety um, uh, on every single flight. And I think in cyber, you know, we, we have to continue um, to remind people of the importance of that safety culture. So actually continuous education around things like um, uh, social engineering, which changes, right? I mean, it changes from your traditional, fairly rudimentary phishing attacks, which still some people fall through, fall for, through to very complex things like business email compromise. Um, and we need to be thoughtful of that continuous education about, uh, about cyber safety. One, one thing that um, you know, we learned um, in, in BP was actually applying that same education to different personas doesn't always work well. So a, a, an example would be if you work in the finance department of, a, a, say, a BP, um, you need to be worried about things like business email compromise. You need to be worried about spear phishing, um, phishing, et cetera. Actually, if you work behind a counter in a retail station um, doing point of sales work, you're probably not that um, uh, open to those kind of attacks. But what you are needing to be is vigilant about things like point of um, sale scammers and what have you. So, um, so, so it's just about continuing to remind people of their critica critical role in, uh, in keeping our companies and, and them as humans um, safe, uh, cyber safe. So how would you, how would you take it back uh, from, uh, from your experience as a CISO and your vast experience engaging with different clients nowadays, different service providers? Um, how would you, you know, you, you are vocal about it. I heard you speak about it. So from that perspective, and you mentioned a lot about culture, about process, about an adoption, about education. If you were to take that and, and say to organizations that they need to change something um, and, and adopt that mindset, what would those be? That's, a, that's an interesting question. So, so I think, um, again, I'm trying to use kind of the analogy um, uh, to, to sort of the, the physical physical world. Um, the first thing, you know, those organizations need to do is understand what they're managing from a cybersecurity perspective. There are so many organizations that do a pretty good job of managing what they can see in front of their faces, but it's the stuff that you can't see. So having, having the ability to really understand what are the assets that you own and manage you know, and, and similar in a in a um, in a in a uh, oil refinery or in a manufacturing site, you've got to understand all of the moving parts to create a uh, safe environment to avoid any kinetic effect. Uh, Cyber is the same. You absolutely need whether that's people, whether that's you know uh, technology internal on your on-premise uh, environments, whether that's your external um, security posture on things that are internet facing. It's vexingly complicated now though, because of um, 
the ease that uh, people can adopt um, technology. So the democratization of uh, digital, uh, layman's terms, means anybody can stand up a solution today that could be your company's brand, your company's name, uh, data, um, sensitive data that uh, your company is uh, is is accountable for the regulations those things you've got to know about so that continuous understanding uh, that continuous situation uh, report if you like about what you own and the state of what you own is absolutely critical in keeping your company cyber safe yeah, the, so that's very fascinating sorry go ahead I was just going to say, um, the, and, and, and back to my point about continuous education, um, you cannot underestimate the fact that this is, this is a culture challenge. This is a human being thing. People will make mistakes. We have a duty of care um, to try our utmost to make sure if somebody does make a mistake, it doesn't damage our companies or, or what have you. But that's that that you know that that will happen. People people will undoubtedly make a mistake, and because of the speed of change from uh, and the sophistication mm -hmm. of the attacks coming in, the ability to deploy technology at that space may not actually keep pace. So you know, with uh, AI now, the ability to create incredibly. Um, incredibly good phishing attacks, well-crafted phishing attacks. You know, uh, you look at the page that comes up, it, for all intents and purposes, is your Amazon or whatever shopping thing you, you, you use. We have got to continually put um, technology um, controls in place to help the human, if they do make a mistake, not cause a serious damage. But at the end of the day, vigilance is actually actually key. And uh, and I saw um, uh, an article that G wrote, um, one of your team, uh, about crypto uh, and how much 3.8 billion had been stolen in crypto. Uh, and you know the reason it was stolen was more about human vigilance and technology controls. So I think we just always got to continuously educate our teams, yeah. and uh, in a way. And I'll come back to the whole safety culture. In a way, they're encouraged to speak up and congratulated when they report things like near misses, because it means that we can avoid others doing the same thing. You, you basically, you touch a few very interesting points, Simon. One is to say, okay, it's a, it's a culture shift. It's a culture shift that probably you are familiar with, I'm familiar from, uh, from the aviation, my army days, that you talk about the F-ups, and, and you are being initially congratulated. By the way, for the record, you may be punished for it, but not as severely punished if you don't talk about it. Uh, that, that's uh, uh, it yeah. is a great example from the Israeli uh, Air Force that a guy uh, landed an F-15 aircraft. He's also, his name is Guy Golan, I'm not a pilot. And uh, one of his wings, just of the F-15, only two, decided to disappear and he got a command um, to say, well, uh, eject, and he landed the aircraft. He was commended for doing that, but was sent to jail because for two weeks because he um, he refused an order, a straight order for to say eject, and he put his life in danger. I think the reality of this culture to say first people need to come forward and say I think I made a mistake, I think I pressed on a button, is is really crucial, and this is a valid point and 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 really something that without the, the 
without the crowd, you can't really change uh, cyber as it is. The second one is you talk about visibility, is the ability to really understand what you've got in your stack. And, and that to me is, is an interesting thing because when we discuss, I discuss with lots of CISOs, there's a bit of a question and, and I feel for the CISOs because CISOs have a really, probably the toughest job from a C-level perspective nowadays, is like how many endpoints have you got? And I, I'm coming back to my days in the army. If you're trying to plan a defense campaign or an attack campaign, you want to know what you've got. And you don't want to know what you think you've got and you don't want to know what you had last week. You want to know what you've got right now. And it feels like, and, and I would love to hear from you, is that sometimes people get to say, I've got 15,000 endpoint, I've got the following ports on my firewall open, I've got the following patch level that is in place. The timestamp is completely wrong. So, so things can happen like three weeks ago about the patch and the endpoint is as of yesterday and the firewall is as of last month. At the same time, the numbers are not absolutely accurate. How do you plan a campaign like that? It, 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 it's tough. I mean, first and foremost, I think just being honest about where you are. Um, so, um, you know, being honest with your, as a CISO, being honest with your executive team, being honest with your board, um, you can be brilliant. Um, and I would say I'm one of the best teams in the world from a cybersecurity perspective. Um, you can be brilliant on managing what you know, but you've also got to be clear about the gaps, the near misses, the things that could cause those incidents that ultimately leave your organization open and then get the support of the, uh, the organization to help you uh, to, to, address, uh, to address that. So, so um, uh, you know, one of the things I didn't talk about is accountability. So I think, you know, it's really critical that uh, business leaders feel accountable for cyber risk in the same way as they're accountable for safety risk. Uh, in the same way as they're accountable for market credit, reputational risk, cyber risk has to be owned by um, business leadership. And all too often um, they look at the CIO or the CISO and say, oh, it's really complicated. You deal with it. That's a huge mistake. So that that kind of ownership of that uh, issue will then enable you to get more, more um, control, more responsibility and control over managing the estate. So I think um, I think there's it, it, again it'll come back to that kind of culture, that safety culture that we we talked about. As for the sort of temporal nature of what we're dealing with, I mean there are um, critical vulnerabilities coming out every day, right? So um, you have to be practical on what is the what is the stack that you're uh, and what is the criticality you're going to respond to. You don't make that stuff up. You have to, from your policy and your process, understand, you know, if Microsoft releases a critical vulnerability, what is the time frame you're going to deploy that in and um, what is required to get that done? And again, that's not just the CISO, that will be the whole, whole technology organization. And lots of organizations now are doing a much, much better job of that infrastructure stack. But I would argue there are very few organizations and, and I'm sure a bunch of CISOs are going to shoot me down for saying this. But I would say there's very few organizations that have 100 percent confidence. They have 100 percent visibility of their estate. The other the other area, I think, that um, is probably less um, loved 
from a security perspective is the application stack. Um, you know, people tend to focus on operating systems, the physical infrastructure mm -hmm. kit, um, the visibility into those critical application vulnerabilities. I would say there are there's not as much um, effort um, resource goes into understanding that. And, and undoubtedly, you know, that will be an increasing, uh, increasing um, area of, of compromises. So things like Java in your application stack, open source libraries, you know, those sort of things which um, potentially have uh, huge ramifications. I think we'll see more attacks on that. And, and lastly, I'd say um, back to this vexingly complicated situation by democratizing digital all of this new stuff can be stood up overnight um, by anybody. Um, so you absolutely have to be continuously monitoring um, for new, um, new uh, infrastructure, new applications, new uh, file sharing, um, SaaS services. You have to be continuously watching for that because you know what do they what do they quote within two seconds of something being put up on the internet. Um, internet facing it will be attacked uh, and the other thing I read recently was the the fastest growing area of vulnerability now is misconfiguration of cloud um, so you know if you get uh, your s3 bucket open guess what that data's gone in seconds so so you know that it's a really complex topic so a bit of a long-winded answer uh, it, again if you're touching all the points I would like to draw um, a picture to you and tell me if that makes sense to try and achieve a safe state um, from, a, from a point of view. Um, and that ties up to the point that we want to encourage a culture of people coming forward and saying, I've made a mistake. Um, assuming people are gonna make a mistake and it's gonna happen now and in the future, and those mistakes are potentially gonna expose the organization to some sort of a business risk that will eventually carry some sort of an impact, whether it is financial, operational, or reputational. Is the following, line or does the following line make sense in the sense of while this is a known i need to know what my business systems are therefore i need to know what my security systems are to protect those business systems and i need to proactively monitor my existing stack and understand that if someone may have made a mistake i can as quickly as possible recover from it um and and by the way um we use the term limit the impact and even before that i can proactively try and monitor that if someone comes and says this i made a mistake i clicked on the link i've got a system already in place that that link went or that click did not go anywhere because i yeah. managed to mitigate that and yeah. then by that we enable a learning culture an encouragement culture of learning while minimizing impact or lowering a, a business risk of the organization does that picture flow in your view yeah it does I, I would add i would add one thing um to to that um which is it starts with the business so you know actually it doesn't start with the technology stack first and foremost you have to understand what is your the critical outcomes of your business and that sounds really simple but actually if you were to sit in front of a um a huge corporation with federated businesses to understand what is top priority is is a complex question because they all are right you know if you're if you're in a um 
say a big oil and gas company, how do you determine what is the things that are most important to you? So you have to start with that. You then have to figure out what is the business processes that support the outcome that you're trying to deliver. And then you can map the technology stack to the business processes. And that becomes your criticality. We talk about the, the CIA triad, the confidentiality, integrity and availability triad um, inside the security quite a lot. Some people now also talk about safety. Um, but but the, uh, the, 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 the reason that's important is you can't, you can't secure everything 100% all of the time. So actually understanding what are the things that you really need to focus on is important. But equally, given the availability conversation, what do you need to recover first? So when a bad thing happens, what is the prioritization in terms of, uh, of, of recovering your, um, your core infrastructure or applications in order to get your business back and, and, and delivering? And guess what? That's temporal. So if you're coming up to your, say, uh, year end close, you have highly sensitive information that could be uh, uh, stock market impacting. That's probably the most important thing you've got at that point. You know, two days after you've declared your, your year end results, that's no longer the most important thing. Something else is. So having that dynamic understanding of the importance to the business is important. And then having a tried and tested um, recovery capability as well to get the business back, not just a piece of IT, to get the business back to be able to deliver that critical outcome, whatever that might be. Yeah, you, you, made, me, you made me smile um, around, around the, the business impact and, and the understanding of, of the business impact because uh, quite often um, we are falling into the trap of discussing technology first, then even worse, the name of a vendor first, we are proud to say how much money we spent on them, uh, but we don't really understand what we got out of it. And one of the questions I normally use in discussions uh, is to say, when you bought something, a service, uh, a piece of advisory or a technology, you clearly had to motivate for that acquisition. Six months later, if you open this, that paper, would the objectives, the KPIs be the same or have you done something different? And, and a lot of them respond like you're responding to me now with a bit of a smile, um, because many of them do not really hold the accountability, which is something you mentioned as well, in the sense that I bought something for a purpose, I need to ensure that that is in place. It's a discussion for another day about how, how the board would perceive that if that happens. Uh, I think we can, we can talk about it in, in length or maybe in another session. Um, I want to bring it back to, to the cyber safety. So, so definitely in a place, and, and we are nearing the time that we are potentially going to conclude in the next few minutes. So from your experience, what are the top three, four things, key drivers that a cyber safety culture should be, an organization should drive um, and, and prioritize? Well, I, I, would, I would start with accountability. So like safe, physical safety, um, you absolutely have to have everybody in your organization feeling accountable for um, cyber safety. Human vigilance, personal vigilance is so important and we can deploy the very best technology controls. 
which can mitigate some of the cyber risk, but it cannot eradicate. If people think you can eradicate the cyber risk, they have to go back to pen and paper. There is no, there is no perfect solution um, to that. So, so I'd, I'd say mostly on the side of, um, you know, that uh, accountability and that runs up to the, the C CEO and the board. They have to feel accountable for cyber risk. They, a bit like the airline industry, they don't need to be pilots to be, um, you know, accountable for it, but they need to have people that they know and trust and they need to listen, they need to understand, and they need to respond to the risk uh, appropriately, depend, depending on what their risk appetite is, of course, but you at least need to agree what that is. Um, so, so the next thing for me would be, you know, in order to be safe, you have to understand, I'll come back to, you have to understand what your makeup is in, in order to, to uh, protect it. Um, and we've seen some really good progress in the uh, IT uh, side of the, uh, the um, security, from a security perspective, there's still loads of companies that need to do an awful lot more, but there's been progress. Uh, I would say on the OT side, which is the operational technology, the technology that runs your manufacturing plants, your rigs, your refineries, your planes, what have you. I would say there's been less progress. There's been some amazing people in the industry um, that, um, that, um, that, that have made, made good progress on, on OT, but I would say that is the exception, not the norm. Um, so, you know, understanding everything that sits in that operational technology um, and, and how vulnerable it is and what you need to do to put mitigating controls in place is going to be critical for organizations now. And you're starting to see the regulators get a lot more, um, a lot more involved mm -hmm. in that. So I think I, I could go on for hours. So I, I'll, I'll stick with those two for a minute, if that's okay. Sounds good. And, and maybe a follow through question on that is that assuming that organizations are going to adopt a cyber safety approach, and again, we call it lower the risk from a proactive point of view, limit the impact when something happens all around a potential breach. What would you think would be um, the indicators that they are progressing in the right direction? That's a, that's a great question. I think, uh, I think reporting of, in the same way uh, we, um, uh, in, in the physical safety area, if you started to see near miss reporting increase, that's a good indicator that you've actually uh, got the, the, the culture right. If you start to see uh, businesses regularly testing their operational resilience, their cyber resilience, um, that would be a good indicator that you've got the culture right. If you see uh, the board wanting to engage, not just get some bland report and read it and, and you know, um, but actually really engage, go and talk to the security teams, um, you know, uh, get educated. Uh, you know, there's some great material out there like the NTSC board toolkit, but actually that plus more get involved in cybersecurity. I think they're good human indicators that actually that culture is in, improving. On, on the tech, more technical side, you know, security has to be embedded in the, in the technology teams. It, in the old days, we used to apply security at the end of projects. That world is gone now. Uh, IT is so fast now that you have to have security experts embedded in hybrid squads delivering, delivering technology. 
But even better, you have to have developers who are security experts as well. So you're continuously educating those. So if you can, if you can actually see how how good, how secure the code is using CIR continuous integration and continuous deployment tools and getting telemetry out of that and saying how many of the um the, the uh how much of the code that's been committed is actually uh is actually clean and secure you can actually start to track progress on that and obviously what you you ultimately want to want to be in a position where you know when code is is checked in and released uh there's no security defects um so you can get some great telemetry out of there uh, from the infrastructure side, I think, you know, this notion of zero trust is important as well. Z By the way, zero trust isn't a technology. Zero trust is a, is a principle. It's an architectural principle. You know, you talked about um, if a human makes a mistake, limiting the blast radius. That's critical in zero trust. So, you know, when somebody does click a, click a, uh, a link, did it cause something bad? Don't ignore the fact that you stopped it happening. Report the fact that somebody did click a link and actually you stopped something bad occurring because you had this score zero trust architecture principle in there. So things like continuous verification of, of, of people, um, uh, people's appropriate, uh, appropriate access and obviously um, network segmentation. I talked about OT. I mean, that's that's clearly critical as well. So there's there's quite a few indicators you can use from kind of the human side, the accountability side and the technology side that says you're actually progressive. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoy your, your recommendations because um... I hear a lot of people dealing with symptoms, not the source of the problem, and, and your advice is very sound. How to deal with the source of the issues, which is the process, which is the element of don't fall into the traps that everybody's falling or follow the herd like everybody else, and then you might see things happening in a way that you will keep yourself uh, safe. Um, obviously, you know we know each other for quite some time, and um, just one question probably for the audience, I, I probably know the answer for that is, why did you join Performante as a strategic advisor? So it comes back to the, this podcast describes it perfectly, Guy. I mean, we, you know, when we first met, you know, your passion around the whole safety topic aligned um, perfectly with uh, with mine. I mean, it was, you know, uh, the, it often, you know, I stayed at BP uh, for 18 years because our val my values aligned with the company values. And I felt that was true with you and, you and Perfamanta, we were trying uh, to help people with the whole cyber safety, um, not just the message, the whole cyber safety progression. We weren't, um, you and the team uh, are not evangelical uh, about it. You're not, you're not preaching at people. You're actually practically rolling your sleeves up and saying, this is going to be a long journey, but we're here to help you progress on that journey from a, a culture of people, process and technology side. And by the way, if you do get whacked, which every company in the world were at some point, we are there to help you um, at, in your time of need. And, and certainly I've seen um, Performanta uh, be outstanding um, from, from that perspective. So, yeah, long answer again, but I always give a long answer. I like the sound of my own you, voice. You're giving amazing answers. Your, um, your choice of words is very, very smart. So thank you for that. So, Simon, I just want to say, um, you know, thank you for dedicating the time. I want to uh, remind those that are listening and thank you for everyone that listens is that you have to remember one thing is that 
a breach is inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of time. Uh, the understanding how you limit the impact and how you can become proactive about defending your environment from a business point of view and therefore from a cyber safety point of view will pay dividends. And there's no day to start than today. So probably it will be a good thing to have. Um, Simon, your wealth and your, your knowledge has been great. I, I truly enjoy, I always enjoy talking to you, you know that. And I want to say thank you for that. Enjoy on your next journey further. And um, thanks a lot. And everybody, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Guy. Cheers.